0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Do you remember on our show, I guess it was Monday, we played some audio from Paul Feinbaum talking about Georgia. And one of the things that Feinbaum said about Georgia fans in that video is, is that Georgia fans are having to endure what he called, and the word he used kind of stood out to me. He said it's a dismal stretch for Georgia. Now, what he means by that is, is that is playing a stretch of games that on first glance, you know, kind of by appearances, don't seem to be all that interesting don't seem to be the kind of thing that's necessarily going to get your juices going as a fan and much the same way we've seen georgia kind of sleepwalk through its two home games thus far this season you know, maybe there's a temptation to want to keep doing some of that a little bit, because even if Georgia played far below its normal standard, even if that was the case, uh, the fact is Georgia would probably still win most of the games it's playing for the next few weeks, including this Saturday on the road at Columbia, Missouri. And that fact might have the potential to maybe make you not all that excited about the game against Missouri on Saturday. But luckily, I have a very special skill set for uh, moments like this. A lot of you know, I'm a little bit of a hype man. You know, I probably in a previous life, I could have been a carnival barker. I could have been like a circus ringmaster. I just could have been very good at that. I have a little bit of a. I don't know. I, I just kind of like that. I like pro wrestling. You know, I like you know amusement parks. I like all this big, loud, flashy stuff. And you know stuff like that is just kind of fun for me. So let me kind of use my skill set. Let me kind of use the stuff I sort of already like. And let's see if we can kind of hype up the Georgia-Missouri game here for a moment and maybe make it seem more interesting, admittedly, that it is. Although there is also a part of me that thinks that what I'm about to say, somewhat in a half-kidding way, behind the scenes in a serious fashion, I think maybe you know what's the line from Game of Thrones for those of you who've watched that show. The North remembers. I think the South may remember here a little bit. I think Georgia, far to the south of Columbia, Missouri, I think the South may have a little bit of a long memory on this. Georgia may have a little bit of a long memory on something involving uh, Missouri Tigers and Coach Eli Drinkwitz in particular. Now, Luther Burden's a former five-star. That's a recruiting win that Missouri got. Now. Burden's been a little bit of a hot topic already this week because at one point in time he had some very cryptic behavior on social media. He has since tried to clarify that he's all Tiger. I guess there's also a chance he's injured, not going to play here this week. There has been a good bit of chatter about what may or may not be going on with Luther Burden. Burden, I would say, is clearly Missouri's best player. They've used him in a lot of interesting ways here thus far this this season, and there's a really good chance that you don't see him uh, on Saturday when the dogs come up there to uh, Columbia for all of that, and a lot of Georgia fans are what about next year what about future years is Burden even going to be there in coma with the Tigers we don't know that for now but I want to go back in time to when Burden uh decided to go to Missouri it was a rare elite recruiting win Tom Hart from the SEC Network told us Tuesday that I believe they've only had five uh five stars come through that program over the you know however many years that, that Tom was kind of going back to side on that I guess during the Kirby Smart era A very small number of elite players have kind of rolled through uh, that Missouri program, Burden, one of the rare examples of that. And Eli Drinkwitz, knowing this is kind of a rare moment for Missouri to get a big recruiting win, let me tell you something. Drinkwitz really celebrated this, really celebrated in style on video in a tweet kind of video from the Missouri official account that sort of went viral. A lot of you remember this. If you're watching a video, I want to show this to you. If you're listening, you can kind of hear the audio from Drinkwitz. Of him. Now, you can't mention the recruit by name. NCAA rules don't allow for that. But Drinkwitz was really proud of himself after Burden had chosen the Tigers. Let's go back in time to last October when all of this happened.
1: 100% shooter
0: for those of you listening, you may not have seen that. It's one of those like little Papa shot things in the Missouri football complex. Drinkwitz uh, hits a little jump shot there and then gives you the shooter shoot. What we don't know is how many times they had to film that video before Drinkwitz finally made it. We're not quite aware of how many takes they had to go through to get the one that made Drinkwitz look halfway cool there on that. But he gives you the shooter shoot, staring off into the camera. A little bit of a boast, a little bit of a brag, a little bit of a spiking of the football there on Georgia because Georgia was the team that kind of finished second on Luther Burden. Now, here's why I'm bringing all this up. Because if you're a Georgia fan kind of suffering through what Paul Feinbaum has called a dismal stretch to your season, Hey, use this. You know how Michael Jordan, you, you you watch like the last dance, you know how Michael Jordan was always like trying to find some sort of motivation. I took that personally. You know, he's kind of trying to find some way to make his opponent be some sort of enemy, some sort of person who slotted him. BMJ on this. Take that personally. Eli Drinkwitz got one recruit and spiked the football right in your face uh, last October. Uh, I think you should do that if you're if you're worried about the Missouri game being boring on Saturday, then use this as a way not to make it quite so boring. Use this as a way to get a little bit more fired up about the game. Now obviously Georgia has a lot more Things to worry about other than you know what Drinkwitz did last year, and the fact is Georgia's actually played Missouri again since uh, Drinkwitz did this. They beat them forty something to six last year. I don't know that Georgia necessarily ran up the score on Missouri. I think they only scored, if memory serves, I think they only scored three points in the fourth quarter last year. So it's not like Georgia was tacking on a bunch of points late on this. But nonetheless, while I'm mostly joking about this, and while I'm mostly just trying to get Georgia fans kind of stirred up about the game, I would not be surprised if Kirby Smart does remember this. I would not be surprised if this kind of gets Eli Drinkwitz on Kirby Smart's list just a bit. And let me tell you something you already know. You don't want to be on Kirby Smart's list a lot of us were kind of left to wonder ooh, maybe Shane Beamer's on Kirby Smart's list after 48-7 in Columbia two weeks ago and how fired up Kirby was during the game the big aggressive first down gesture and some of the stuff that we saw Smart seemed to be very uh intensely coaching that game pretty late there on Saturday you kind of wonder wow uh is, is Shane Beamer on Kirby Smart's list now is that what this is all about and over the years that list not a very good place to be. How many rival coaches to Kirby, whether it be at Tennessee or Auburn, places like that, how many of those coaches have been fired just because they accidentally kind of entered into Georgia's orbit that involves Kirby Smart? I'll give you a couple of quick examples here as a way of bolstering my point. Think about Paul Johnson for a moment. A lot of us assume that Kirby doesn't like Tech, and Kirby specifically didn't like Paul Johnson. In fact, if you want to go back to during the Johnson era, I forget what year this was, like 2018, something like that. If you want to go back specifically to that era, Kirby did something publicly he doesn't do a lot. He kind of openly talked about the chance of getting a coach fired because of how bad he was going to beat him. And this is the, the kind of thing that kind of serves as, hey, if you're not one of Kirby's boys, if you're not a guy that Kirby Smart likes, if you're standing in his way, then you may just get steamrolled, including Paul Johnson. Here's a reminder from, I think this was 2018. Take a listen to this. you think it's necessary you guys just kind of take it for
1: what it is? It is what it is. I don't love it, but it is what it is. And you get the cards are dealt, and that's the cards are dealt. I mean, if you don't want to play against it, then, then beat them every year, and eventually you won't have to. So... <laughs>
0: If you don't want to uh, play against that triple option offense, then beat him badly enough and eventually you won't have to. Well, come to find out that's exactly what did happen. Johnson eventually got fired, and Kirby essentially called his shot on that going into that game. An example of being a coach that draws Kirby's ire not being a very good thing to do. And then last year after the Florida game. Now, you got to understand something. The context here is, is that Dan Mullen was getting raked over the coals down in Florida by his own media, his own fans, about his inability to recruit and his kind of shrugging off of all of that. This was the the weapon that was being used against Mullen to suggest that he should no longer be Florida coach. And it certainly seems like Kirby Smart was aware of that when asked after the game about his own recruiting success Man, listen to the way last November he just really twisted that knife about what he was doing, what Dan Mullen thought he was doing, and how Mullen had kind of made all the wrong choices. This was Kirby once again kind of having it out for one of his coaching enemies. Take a listen to this.
1: You have to. I mean, guys, if you don't recruit, there's no coach out there that can out-coach recruiting, okay? I, I don't care who you are. The best coach to ever play the game better be a good recruiter because no coaching is going to out-coach players. I mean, anybody will tell you our defense is good because we've got good players. So spending time on the phone, you know, spending time with people at your house, spending time with people when they come to your campus. You know, I, I'm not with my family when I'm doing that. My family sacrifices so that I can go and spend time with other people's families so that we have good players. So, you know, that's 25% evaluation. That's 50% recruiting and another 25% is going to be coaching. But if you don't recruit guys, you got no chance. Just go look, look at the best teams out there. They got good football players. And that's the reason I believe in recruiting. And I believe you better always be recruiting, always be recruiting because if you're not, somebody else is
0: when you play that audio and, and you hear that Kirby talking about, Oh yeah, listen, people want to talk about you know, being a good coach, whatever else, that, you know, this comes about recruiting and he, he really kind of hammered that point home. The point is, is given a chance to give Mullen a lifeline, given a chance to maybe not lean into the narrative that was being used against Mullen. No, Kirby smart didn't do that at all. Didn't do that at all. He absolutely uh, kind of twisted the knife there on that being an enemy to Kirby smart it's not a place you want to be previous coaches have found that out eli Drinkwitz did he make himself an enemy in kirby smart by you know uh leaving it hanging after the papa shot uh, uh make and putting out the video celebrating luther burden we don't know that for sure necessarily but it is interesting to consider late in this game maybe a little extra motivation for uga maybe reason for Georgia fans to stay focused, find an enemy in Drinkwitz, a guy that you otherwise might not think much about. Hey, whatever works makes Saturday's game more interesting. Uh, That's what we believe around here anyway all right my name is brandon adams and this is dog nation daily the daily podcast for georgia bulldogs fans apparently our audio is down for right now and i'm happy to have you with us even though the song's not playing we're still happy to have you with us whether you check in on video 10 a.m facebook youtube twitter twitch or on the radio at noon on athens sports radio 9 6, the ref or available as a podcast wherever you find them apple spotify WorldFamousDogNation.com all kinds of ways to connect with our show. We just want to make it as possible for you to be a part of our show as we can. And great sponsors allow us to do that, like our friends at Merriweather and Tharp. They are your source for Georgia divorce. And I realize that divorce is one of those things. I mean, sometimes people even come up to me and they're like, B.A., you know, talk about divorce on Thursdays on the show. And I always say, yeah, that is what I talk about. Because here's what I understand, is that while our show is really about having fun and celebrating a topic that we all enjoy discussing, People bring their real lives into our show when they're listening to it or when they connect with us, whatever else, they are bringing their real lives with them. And for real people, divorce is a real part of so many folks' story. And here's what I truly believe, that there are some things in life that you only get better for going through it, that avoiding it if it's an unnecessary uh, reality, avoiding it, attempting to avoid it is only prolonging the the inevitable on that 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 when it's time to get busy and make the decision about putting yourself in a position for a happier tomorrow than having a strong advocate like mary weather and tharp on your side as you go through that divorce process that is a really important thing people who understand the law there are so many things and i've had you know lunch with bob tharp from mary weather and Tharp many times and we've kind of talked about some of this kind of stuff, there are so many things about the law when it comes to divorce that's not necessarily intuitive. Some things you might think are true, but maybe actually in reality something different is actually of a greater benefit to you. And those are the kinds of things I'm not even really smart enough to explain nor even smart enough to even... you know, to to, to even, you know, uh, appreciate necessarily. But the folks at Merriweather and Tharp are certainly capable of doing that. And they are really good at walking you through every option and putting a game plan in place that gives you a great chance at a happier tomorrow, much more uh, enjoyable next season of life than the one you may currently find yourself in. So that's why my advice to you is to reach out to them. They are the com. That's their website. Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce, your source for Georgia divorce. You can find them online at the com. Let them walk through everything that's going on with you on all of that. And I think they're going to be a great advocate by your side. So make sure you check them out today. Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. You can find them online at the com. All right, a couple of notes here I want to give you here. And then we're going to kind of roll through. So we have two great guests today. Before we're done, we'll hear from Connor Riley. We'll do a Kroger Fresh Take with him. Connor, uh, normally on Tuesdays, we had two great guests on Tuesday. Connor was good enough to kind of move to Thursday here today. So we'll do a very rare late-week conversation with Connor. But it's actually going to work out to be a really good one today uh, just because it'll be our chance to kind of find out how it's gone in Athens this week as George gets ready to go on the road in SEC play again on Saturday. Also coming up in a couple of minutes, we're going to talk to Terrence Edwards, great former Georgia wide receiver, always terrific to have Terrence as a part of what we're doing here on Dog Nation Daily. Big insight from him on the focus needed for the next stretch. Georgia has seven SEC opponents to play coming up over the next eight weeks. A lot about where Georgia kind of stands in this postseason race will be determined by what happens over the course of the next couple of months and it starts Saturday at Missouri and Terrence Edwards will help shape that conversation for us here coming up in just a couple of minutes. Before that though let's go around the doghouse and it's presented today by our friends at Pro and Georgia's number one. Georgia's riding high. The last time Georgia was an SEC play, it was dominating South Carolina. Georgia sent a big message week one when it dominated Oregon and Atlanta. And yet, even in the midst of those very impressive performances, there are a couple of things for Georgia that seem to be kind of a lingering concern. And one of these, and Kirby Smart openly acknowledged that this week, that one of their big goals coming into the season Was to find more touchdowns when they entered the red zone. Don't settle for quite as many field goals. This was an area last year that Georgia was right about national average in, somewhere in like the 60s nationally when it comes to percentage of trips into the red zone from the 20 and in that resulted in touchdowns they were tied with like two lane, for instance that's an area in which you don't really want to be if you're georgia kind of down there with the likes of two lane. and kirby smart said this week coming into the year we clearly wanted to be better at that and thus far maybe the results are mixed maybe that georgia it appears still has some work to do in taking full advantage of its red zone opportunities those scoring trips that travel inside the 20 yard line so smart was asked hey Diagnose this. Give us your assessment of what you think is going on with your team once you get down to the red zone. And I thought Smart gave a pretty interesting answer to that earlier this week. Audio's fixed now. You can hear this. This is Kirby on what he sees happening when Georgia gets to the red zone.
1: You know, uh, it goes back a little bit to the run game. I think when the field tightens up and shrinks, you know that's where uh, the run game is is more glaring because the boxes, you know, they're tighter to the box. And uh, there's less people in the deep parts of the field. They're they're in your front yard, and you got to block them. You got to run through them. Uh, And you know some of them are just misses. You go back to the Sanford game where we struggled. There was a couple times we had guys open, we just missed them. So uh, we got to do a better job. Um, We've looked at it really hard. You know, first down run percentage, second down run percentage, uh, third down conversions uh, in the red area are critical because it gets you a new set of downs. We've been there a lot but we have it converted as much as we need to and uh, if it all had to boil down to one thing I would say you know accuracy in the passing game and and being effective running the ball into heavy boxes
0: so if you're curious right now Georgia's 66th nationally in percentage of red zone trips that result in touchdown that's an area in which an otherwise elite team is not elite that's why smart speaks so openly about wanting to correct that because that's obviously one of those areas but you can find more points if you take full advantage of those scoring opportunities but here's Kind of something I think also needs to be acknowledged there as well. The red zone is a little bit of a weird thing. It's kind of a made up designation. Like, who decided the red zone was the 20? Why isn't the 25? Why isn't the 15? It's sort of this sort of made up designation. And there, because of that, it can be a little bit hard to know exactly what red zone success means, or in some cases, what lack of red zone success means. I want to give you kind of an example that proves this point. If you look at the five highest scoring teams in the country right now, Oklahoma State, Michigan, Ohio State, Kansas, and Tennessee, believe it or not, yeah, Kansas is in that group right now. If you look at the five highest scoring teams in the country, you don't necessarily always see the same correlation with red zone success. And For instance, Oklahoma State, number one but they're just 14th in the red zone when it comes to percentage of trips resulting in touchdown. Michigan is second, but they're just 29th when it comes to red zone touchdown percentage. Ohio state is fourth. So a little bit of correlation there, Kansas just 17th then Tennessee just ninth. So in other words, uh that there's a little bit of an imbalance in some cases especially with Michigan for instance second scoring overall but just 29th in red zone a little bit of a disconnect between how well offenses perform at large compared to how well offenses perform when they get down there to the smaller field now I'll also point this out that if you look at the high water mark for SEC offenses last few years LSU in 2019 Alabama in 2020 those teams were not only the best scoring teams, but they were also the best red zone teams there as well. So it's not always a disconnect between what you think of one, what you think of the other. And for Georgia, when you think about how they could have had even more offense last year, clearly more red zone success is an example of that. But as I told Mike Griffith when he joined us on the show yesterday, while I love the fact that Kirby is openly acknowledging this as an area in which UGA needs improvement, as someone who knows far less about this topic than he does, just kind of giving you my opinion as someone who tries to watch these games as closely as I can, I think that his diagnosis of this is not quite what I think it should be. He talks a lot about running the ball in what he calls, you know, kind of big boxes down there with, uh, you know, extra defenders. And the reason why there are more defenders is because there's not as much stuff for the defense to worry about over its head. The field has gotten smaller and therefore with the field smaller, more defenders crouching towards the line of scrimmage and therefore running the football becomes a little bit more difficult to do. And in those scenarios during the Kirby Smart era at Georgia, that just hasn't always worked out well for UG. I want to give you another stat here. And this isn't a stat about red zone necessarily, but it is a stat that speaks to Even though Georgia typically almost always has a very good offensive line and almost always typically has a great stable of running backs, when it comes to short yardage situations when the defense is very likely assured of what Georgia is going to try to do, run the football, Georgia hasn't always found success there in that regard. There's a website called Football Outsiders. They're kind of an analytics-based website. One of the things they uh, keep tab of is what they call power success rate on running plays, and that may sound fancy, but here's all it means. That when you run the ball on third or fourth down with two yards to go for a first down or a touchdown, how successful are you on those rushing plays? Now, I said before, Georgia almost always has very good offensive line, almost always has very good running backs. You would think on those power running plays, short yardage plays to convert first downs and touchdowns that Georgia would be great at that. But history tells us not so much. In 2017, Georgia was just 47th in those kinds of plays. In 2018, just 33rd. In 2019, just 41st nationally. In 2020, just 47th nationally. And last year, even in a national championship season, outside the top 50, when it comes to power success rate, converting running plays of two yards or less into first downs or touchdowns. That's why I'm so adamant that this, the the solution to whatever's plaguing Georgia in the red zone is not going to be just jam it in there and try to run it against eight-man boxes. When the defense knows what's coming, it's just simply easier to stop it. So for Georgia to to solve its red zone woes, I believe, to the extent they even are woes, but for Georgia to kind of correct whatever issue might exist in the red zone, I don't think you're going to do it with power football. I do think that Georgia needs the power running element more so in its game plan this year. But for me, that's more about the full field and not just inside the 20. Down inside the 20, it's actually the other thing that Smart said that's probably true here, that those are the moments in which you need the best possible performance from Stetson Bennett. The most accurate throws he can make. Think about the Darnell Washington touchdown attempt in uh, Sanford when that ball is probably a little overthrown, probably a little too much mustard on it and Washington wasn't able to come down with it. That's a touchdown that Georgia could have had with a slightly better throw, and that's where you need Bennett at its best, at, at his best. Now, I'll also add to this there, too. Then we talked with Mike Griffith about this yesterday, I thought he brought up a really good point, that while you know traditional runs don't always serve you well inside the 20 because it's easier for the defense to stop them, quarterback runs have proven to be very dangerous inside the red zone. In fact, one of the things you've probably seen is is the stat that's been kind of compiling for Bennett thus far this year, games in which he's had more than 250 yards passing while also having a rushing touchdown, something I think that only Tim Tebow has done through four games in SEC history. That's the kind of success that you're getting from Bennett right now. And when you think about where his value as a runner shows up, maybe more so than anything else, it's right there in the red zone. Because Quarterback runs are the kinds of things, unlike traditional runs, that you don't necessarily know when they're coming, and therefore they become much more efficient and much more difficult to stop. So we already know that George is leaning on Bennett a good bit this year. He's had a very good start to his season. But down in the red zone, I believe that George is going to have to lean on him a little bit more. If you want more red zone success... You need very accurate throws from Stetson when you're down there, and you need his legs because the traditional runs just have a tendency not to work so well when you're down there in the short part of the field. That is around the doghouse, and it's presented today by our friends at Serve Pro. And speaking of things that work, we know Serve Pro works around here because they've worked for us. I'm talking about. Big cleanup jobs. You've heard me talking before when it comes to Serve Pro about fire damage, water intrusion, and the fix up they're capable of doing. if you're watching on video, you see another example of our building and how it just got completely wrecked uh, a couple of weeks ago by a, a, a water leak. There was like a coffee machine or something like that. They just, you know, uh, fan, one of those fancy coffee machines. And I don't know, water just leaked everywhere. And it was going to destroy the entirety of the floor, if not the entirety of the building. Uh, and then it was prevented. Our producer, Michael Carvel, kind of stepped in and stopped that and then reached out and got to our friends at Serve pro and all of a sudden they're here and the cleanup job that you're seeing there is actually a couple of weeks old. We should actually Maybe shoot some new video of how it looks outside of our building now because it is absolutely perfect. I mean, it has been completely uh, renovated. We've told you before that Serve Pro cleans it up like it never even happened, and that's exactly what they've done for us. They can do that for you there as well. Plus, each and every franchise independently owned and operated. That means you're doing business with someone who's got a stake in the outcome, just like you do. So, find out more. ServePro.com. That's the website. ServePro.com. S-E-R-V. Check out ServePro.com for a lot more on that. All right, I'm glad to have you here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Merriweather and Thorpe. Today. We've got uh, Connor Raleigh here coming up in just a few minutes' time. A lot to discuss with him. But before that, Georgia on the road in SEC play. This is a place, I'm talking about these kinds of games, road games, where Georgia has seemingly had an extra level of focus. How come that's true? Well, let's talk to a guy who who's also won plenty of games on the road during his football career. It's the former Georgia wide receiver Terrence Edwards. This is a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So let's say hello to Terrence Edwards here, great former dog, record setting wide receiver, and a great voice, breaking down everything related to UGA. And uh, Terrence, I've told you this before that your senior year in 2002, one of my favorite Georgia teams of all time, and one of the things that made that team so enjoyable were big road wins you can think about the south carolina game and the david pollock strip sack touchdown that kind of helped make that possible you guys won in alabama that year that wasn't a nick saban alabama it's still a pretty big deal to win at bryant denny stadium and it was a fun thrilling game you won there uh at auburn to clinch the seces for the first time in program history and obviously the michael johnson touchdown that that was a, a part of that go back to your junior year you guys just got to win at tennessee hobnail boot there in 2001. When you were kind of coming of age as a Georgia player, it was also a time where Georgia was, like it is now, having big-time success on the road in the SEC. What's the mindset necessary uh, for Georgia to do what it's been doing? How do they get so focused when they're going into somebody else's stadium?
2: You know, it's, just a, it's a mindset that the coaches preach all week. Uh, I just can remember if you was a student at Georgia at the time, especially when we went up to uh, – anytime we went up to Tennessee – we would go to the stadium and, and there have the uh, Rocky top plan and the the communications was was very poor so we had to be locked into the hand signals so they put you in a, in a in a predicament that you your focus has to be laser focused or you're just not going to play well because of the crowd so once you're going to somebody else's house man you you have to go in with the respect of we got to go in and respect these people's house but we're going in with a Objective to to win and beat you beat you in your house. So, doesn't matter if it's Missouri or it's Tennessee or it's Auburn, you gotta respect someone's house and go in and play your best game.
0: It's our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. Uh, Kirby's also talked about how hey, you know, when you travel, maybe it's less family. Not that you don't want to see your family, but that just gives you more of a chance to be focused. It's certainly less like girlfriend interaction, things like that. There's actually a little bit of an ability to prioritize football when you're in another state playing a game in somebody else's stadium. Did you find that to be true as a player, that maybe you could just kind of focus on your business a little bit more because some of the peripheral distractions that happened back at home, you didn't have to worry about those things for that particular week?
2: Well, in a sense, yes, because now <laughs> – when we played, we didn't have all the devices and FaceTime and do everything <laughs> that that these kids have now. But in an overall grain, uh, scheme of things, yes, you, you don't have that, you know, distractions that these kids have at home. You know, when you're playing at home, I don't know what they do. I don't know if they uh, go to the hotel at night or, or what. But there's a lot of things that you just can get into. And these are young kids. But when you're on the road, you're locked down. Like you're truly locked down. It's it just football, 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 and um, you know it's a sense of urgency when you when you're out of town. Uh, it, it's it's definitely a, a level of. It's a different level of focus once you're out of time because you don't have all the distractions that you normally have on a home game.
0: So I was talking about the red zone before you joined us here a little bit. I want to tell you a quick story. So, you know, I'm not a former coach. I'm not a former player. I don't pretend to be an expert about what's happening between the white lines. I, I don't pretend to be that. But I have had a few moments, Terrence, in recent years where when you're watching a game from the field, I think you get a different perspective of like what that area right in front of the goal line sort of looks like. I remember being on the field for the overtime session in the Rose Bowl between Georgia and Oklahoma, and I remember thinking as a fan who desperately wanted Georgia to win this game that all of a sudden I wasn't quite so afraid of Baker Mayfield anymore once you got 20 and in because all of a sudden the Georgia defense just didn't have as much ground to cover. That that I, I kind of got a different perspective from football watching games from down there on the field because you realize when it's 20-yard line and in, or an overtime, 25-yard line and in, when you're on that small field, the defense's job just gets a little bit easier. And the things about the defense for Georgia in 2017 that I liked, Roquan Smith, defensive line, things like that, all of those strengths were kind of accentuated because – they just didn't have as much behind them to 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 worry about there and ever since then I've sort of thought about the red zone a little bit different as one of those things where hey if you're truly a great quarterback you make your best throws in the red zone if you're truly a dynamic athlete you'll make a guy miss in the red zone and that's an area right now that I think that you know stats would say that Georgia needs to get better at Kirby Smart's kind of acknowledged that there too as a player yourself what's your thought on what happens when you get close to scoring and why so many otherwise good offenses seem to fizzle a little bit once they get inside the 20.
3: No,
2: On both sides of the ball, your, your focus and level of concentration heightens, and, it, and, it's, and it's different for both sides. On the offensive side, the field do shrink. Um, if you're in a 20-yard end, now you only have 30 yards to work with, and that's the 20 plus 10 more yards in the end zone So as a defensive player, I know you can't beat me but so far. So I could play a little differently if I had 50 yards to cover. So both sides of the ball, it's tougher for offenses to score in the red zone. And I ain't going to say it's easier, but there are more limitations that we have than defense. And defense is going to use the short fields to their defense. So it's totally different. And those teams that score – more touchdowns in the red zone, you would be your better
0: team. So one of the other topics has been going on here a lot, and different people have kind of a different opinion of all this, is, hey, how's it going with the Georgia rushing attack? Now, the numbers actually don't look that bad. You know, uh, Georgia averaged just at six yards per carry against South Carolina, had an overall, you know, decent-looking rushing total against uh, Kent State and had a, you know, fine offensive performance in total when you think about yards and points there. And yet there is still this kind of lingering suspicion that something might not be quite right with the Georgia rushing attack, and maybe that's because the offensive line, maybe in particular interior offensive linemen, guard spots, maybe to really be more specific. Maybe they're not having a great season to this point in time. Maybe Georgia running backs aren't quite making people miss the way that they uh, maybe have in the past. Terrence, you're obviously watching these games closely, and you're, you're a sharp football mind. What do you see happening with Georgia on what we'll think of here as traditional running plays, offensive linemen trying to open holes for running backs? What do you see happening there in those moments right now?
2: Well, I think this game we did a better job against uh, South Carolina and uh, Kent State uh, moving people off the line of scrimmage. I didn't think the first few couple games, even against uh, Sanford, that we didn't move people around. We didn't bully people around. More uh, finesse, we're going to hold the block and allow the running back to pick and choose where he, he needs to run. But I, I just think we're not bullying people right now. Uh, I think uh, when we had Nick and we had Sony, I think those offensive line under uh, pit bull that we, we were able to bully people. And I know the offensive linemen was different with uh, Solomon Killing and all those guys. They were just bigger. And I think now we're getting more taller, leaner guys, more athletic, and we're we're just not bullying people off the line of scrimmage. So what what are we doing right now? If you look at the stats, uh, we're throwing the ball two yards away to Kenny McIntosh and allow him to run 8 to 10 yards. So that is an extension of the running game that we have kind of mastered because I think Kenny may be leading the team in reception. So that's in, – in today's game, that's the extension of, of the running game. And uh, I don't think anyone right now is, is – really running, power game between the tackles. They're allowing these ultra-talented running backs and utility backs to get into space and use their talent in the open field more than just trying to pound within between the tackles. I think that's the way football is going right now.
0: A good stuff from Terrence Edwards here in our Marlowe's Tavern. Insider update. Speaking of good stuff, you got a chance to enjoy some good stuff yourself at Marlowe's right now. One more weekend here of the ribs and whiskey event. One of the great promotional events that Marlowe's has throughout the year. We love the ribs, love all the special rubs and sauces, and the great menu items. By the way, we've got some great sides. Because here's my thing: I love barbecue. Most of you do there as well. But down here in Georgia, you know we're big into like the good sides to go along with the barbecue there too, and. They've got some very clever, creative, chef-inspired side dishes to go along with that uh, great uh, ribs and the the special barbecue menu items there at Marlowe's Tavern right now, including like fried macaroni and cheese, which is just amazing. You want a great special dessert about the bourbon bread pudding? You can get that there as well got some really good like cornbread it, it's a great experience a great time for you to enjoy uh the tavern right there in your neighborhood and listen if marlowe's is doing a big special event you better believe they're gonna have some specialty cocktails to go along with it that's just what they do and that's why we love them and you can stop by and see them today marlowe's tavern.com for more on that or just go right there to the tavern right there in your neighborhood and enjoy a great, great ribs and whiskey event taking place there at Marlowe's Tavern. Terrence, I want to finish up with this today. So this, to me, is why Saturday's game matters. We've seen four games from Georgia thus far this year. In two of those games, Georgia has looked like the best team in the country. Oregon game, South Carolina game, I don't know that anyone was capable of playing better on those particular days than Georgia was. Samford can't stay both the home games, ironically enough. Georgia has looked less than the best team in the country. Now, it's easy to sort of dismiss that and say, oh, it's level of competition. It's lack of focus, lack of emotion. And for all I know, that's probably true. That probably really is the explanation for why Georgia didn't play that great. But Saturday becomes a fifth data point. And all of a sudden, now you've got either more examples of Georgia playing great, or if Georgia sleepwalks, all of a sudden, now you've got more examples of Georgia being less than its best than you do the the other kind of performance. So to me, Saturday is a little bit interesting in that, is this the Georgia that blows doors against Power Five competition? Or is this the Georgia that kind of seems disinterested when it's not playing a team that's on its same level. I think we actually learn a little bit about these dogs on Saturday, despite the fact that Missouri is about as uninteresting a team as you can possibly play. Yeah, I think
2: so. I, I think we're going to see the team that we expect that we see against Oregon and South Carolina. And, you know, you know, we keep beating a dead horse, and I've been the one as well, just to say, you know, they've been unmotivated, uninterested in the teams because they just knew they was better. But this game, even though Missouri is, is not as talented, I think that they understand what this game represents. It's an SEC game. We need to continue to win every SEC game as possible. I think they, they're they going to go out in a hostile environment, in a place where we, we haven't been historical, have played Missouri. Um, so I think we're going to get their best. I, I think Kirby and Compton have just pounded it into their heads like this is an SEC game. We have to treat it like South Carolina. We have to treat it like... This opponent here can't beat us. I think he's kind of scared that into them. I, I look forward to watching them, and I procrastinate that they're going to be the team that we saw against Oregon and South Carolina.
0: Uh, Terrence, it's great stuff. I appreciate you being here for our um, Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. I know it's a late, night on Saturday, but we're looking forward to seeing you a little bit on the uh, Dog Nation post game show there as well. Your thoughts after these games always so valuable so uh thanks for uh being a part of that there too and we'll look forward to speaking to you again here next time
2: thanks b.a i want to say this before i go i want all the dog nation wherever you're watching dog nation just to tell me how i did when b.a had technical difficulties that's and I right had to run this show by myself on last saturday so i just need everyone to tell me how i did on my Debut of running the post
0: game show. Honestly, Terrence, uh, you're, I should have brought this up. You knocked it out of the park. I was so impressed. Now, listen, I felt bad to leave you in that position. Obviously, you know a good partner never you know leaves his wingman. Uh, uh, in that particular case, I guess I was more of a goose to your Maverick because I, <laughs> I wasn't there for you when you needed me. But uh, in that in that particular case, I think that you absolutely uh, you dominated the performance as we knew you probably would. But for folks who didn't see it on Saturday. Things were going really great in the post-game show. We're like 30, 35 minutes in. We're just humming right along. And then out of nowhere, as technology sometimes does, totally betrayed by big tech. Uh, Terrence was left by himself. And Terrence, you picked up the ball, you ran with it, and you scored a touchdown like you did so many times in your Georgia career.
2: So that's that's touchdown number 31 for me, and I look forward to this upcoming
0: Saturday. Terrence, great stuff. Thanks for being here. I appreciate that. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC through. Yeah, I'd actually forgotten about that, and because uh, it's you know Saturday seems like a thousand years ago uh, in, in the life that we all live, of course. But Terrence did a great job, I and mean, thing you understand, it's like doing the thing where you talk by yourself is not a naturally intuitive thing, and I do it all the time, but I'm essentially a robot. Like you know, I, like you just sort of wind me up in the back, and like I don't function like a normal human necessarily, so. The fact that I speak, you know, kind of alone and kind of a monologue type sense for a lot, that's just because my brain is sort of wired weird. But for the average person, that's a very different kind of thing. And yeah, Terrence did that on Saturday, and he did great. And it's one of those things where like I'm panicked because I'm trying to get back in, and just there's there's just always there's always something going on, right? And you know, part of life is just kind of rolling with the punches on stuff like that. So I'm trying to get back into the broadcast, and we're dealing with all that. But while I was Terrence was doing great so I know y'all love Terrence and if you want to see Terrence in kind of a little bit of an unfiltered form kind of an unfettered form without me interrupting him every five seconds you can go back and watch that from Saturday because I thought that was really good let me tell you what else I think is really good that's cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean and making plans to be on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship here coming up very soon there as well now you've heard me talk a lot about the Dog Nation cruise and I want you to be there on that but y'all here's the thing you also got to understand there too is it's time to start thinking about holiday cruises. It's time to start thinking about early 2023 type cruises. For me, I love the football season because, I mean, I just am immersed in it. and So many of you kind of are in your own version of that there too, just like as entrenched into it as you possibly can be. But when it's done, I'm done. I'm ready for a break. I'm ready to kind of you know, work on my winter tan. I'm ready to kind of, you know, get on a a great private island like Perfect Day Coco Cay or walk the streets of Nassau, go snorkeling or do something really fun like that. I'm ready to stop by and visit one of those really cool uh, cocktail spots on the ship, probably uh, first and foremost. I'm ready to do all of that. So as you're starting to think about holiday travel, you're starting to think about early 2023, not too soon to start thinking about next year's spring break, summer vacations. I want you thinking about a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. And We talk about Royal Caribbean Cruises, the person that helps us with all of those, because she was actually specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean. Jessica Slater is a great travel agent, but I didn't know Jessica prior to being introduced to her from our friends at Royal Caribbean. They said, hey, you guys need a great special travel agent to book your Royal Caribbean Cruises. So here's someone who's an expert in what we do. And that's what Jessica Slater is. You can call her uh 770-718-9147 770-718-9147 she's a real person she'll pick up the phone she'll answer and she'll answer any question you have about a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation and here's what you should definitely ask her ba said this dog nation cruise in april is going to be really fun is that true and she will give you the answer to that and if you're not quite ready to pick up the phone yet you just want more details about what we're doing in April on board Independence of the Seas. We showed you our buddy Wiser Dog yesterday who had his cruise ship with Royal Caribbean parked right next to Independence of the Seas. Go to RoyalDogs.com. That's a website that she's made specially just for our second ever Dog Nation cruise, RoyalDogs.com. And you can get all the information on that. From her there. So, royaldogs.com, that's the website, 770 718 9147. That's the phone number for whatever Royal Caribbean cruise vacation you're looking to book, including the second ever cruise with Dog Nation coming up this April. Make sure you check that out then. All right, a couple of stories related to the SEC. And uh, by the way, before the show is done, I've also got to take care of some business as it relates to tomorrow. And I meant to do that earlier and I just forgot to. So let me put a pin in that for right now. But stories as it relates to what's happening around the SEC. So A.J. McCarron is a former Alabama quarterback now in the media because all former Alabama quarterbacks must eventually go into the media, it would seem. So this is McCarron's foray into all of this. And he was on one of the podcasts from the website called The Ringer. You may have heard of that. And in the midst of the discussion, McCarran says that he has heard that Brian Harson, the Auburn coach, has already been told that he is fired. Since McCarron said that, um, AL.com, big website in the state of Alabama that covers Auburn, has reported that sources close to Auburn say that, no, that's not true. Uh, Harson hasn't been told that. Here's what you know, and we all understand this. A lot of this is about semantics. A lot of this is about who the source is that's talking. Of, co- of, of, of course, clo- sources close to the Auburn situation going to try to protect the the secrecy of what it is they're trying to do and 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 all of that they've got kind of a brand to protect here if someone's telling the truth on this particular instance i think it's more likely probably mccarran because i think even those of us who don't quite have inside sources to the auburn program we sort of understand that harson's kind of dangling by a string right now this is one of those things that's a lot bigger deal you know to you know certain you know reporter types than it is to the average fan the average fan here is a guy like McCarron say this and say well of course that's true whether it's been officially talked about or sort of whispered in back rooms cigar filled rooms sort of have that picture of that you know whatever the actual semantic difference is of course they've talked about replacing Harson. of course they're looking to do that however let me just say this real quick I think there's a little bit of a weird vibe around the game between Auburn and LSU on Saturday and we'll probably do some of this tomorrow because we generally give our kind of big thoughts in the big games. And while LSU-Auburn's on a huge game, neither team is ranked in the top 25 right now, it is at least a little bit of, a, I mean, it's a historic rivalry in the SEC. It's a preview of Georgia's next opponent. And I'm telling you right now, there is something about this Auburn-LSU game that just doesn't quite sit right with me. I talked about this earlier this week with all the LSU fans who were up in arms about the fact that their game against Tennessee is 11 a.m. local time because, hey, this is such a big game and they're not getting the big game treatment on all of this. Well, you're on the road in SEC play the week prior to that. Maybe that's where your focus should be. It wasn't that long ago that Auburn was kind of viewed as a little bit of a point spread favorite here in this game. And yeah, Auburn got beaten up badly by uh, Penn State, but the truth is I think that Penn State's probably the best team right now that we're not currently talking about. I think that Penn State's actually making a pretty strong case for itself through the first few weeks of the season and Penn State won big at Auburn because I think the Penn State actually right now is probably pretty good. Auburn just barely beat Missouri. That's certainly true. But once again, you know, this idea that they're gonna lay down and die at home against LSU, they'll probably lose. But Harson's a done deal. I think he'll eventually get fired. Auburn's a bad team. They're one of the two or three worst in the entire SEC. But that doesn't mean they're not capable of fighting. And right now, everybody acts like this game on Saturday night is just some sort of like rubber stamp, easy one for LSU. Are we sure LSU is capable of beating anyone of note easily based on how they looked on the first Sunday night of the season against uh, Florida State? Just file that away. It's not an official pick. I'm just I'm just saying. Just file that away. Uh, maybe LSU-Auburn more worth your attention than currently it's being treated as. I'll also say this really quickly. I saw a Rich Scangarello, the Kentucky offensive coordinator, uh, who I think is a big time downgrade from what Liam Cohen was there a year ago. Talking up Will Levis as the future number one overall pick, y'all. For the most part, no, we don't believe that. Levis actually already thrown four interceptions this year. I mean, I just I don't see where the the Levis hype comes from. I really don't. But once again, we'll say the same thing about him here. We said going into the Florida game. If you're good at all, then you go into Oxford, Mississippi on Saturday against Ole Miss and you have a big game there. And I don't suspect that's going to happen because I think one of the sneaky stories in the SEC right now is I just don't think Kentucky's good. I just don't. I don't think they're good. Uh, They're ranked. They got a nice pretty record. I don't think Kentucky is good. But if Levis is good, the way his offensive coordinator says he is, then he'll prove something on the road on Saturday. But I have a sneaking suspicion that's not going to happen and then finally before we bring on Connor Riley let me just quickly mention so Pete Thamel is now focusing on you know he gave you like 50 names for the tech job the other day now focusing on two names for Georgia Tech and this is just one guy's opinion but he's talking about Alabama offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien and Coastal Carolina coach Jamie Chadwell so saying that maybe those two names are the best possible fit you'll remember that O'Brien once worked at Tech as an assistant so there's a little bit of a tie there on that You should also know that Georgia Tech doesn't currently have an athletic director, so making too bold a proclamation about who the next coach there might not be all that smart, just given the fact that the person that's going to hire that new coach hasn't himself or herself been hired as of yet. But Thamel, who recently gave you the names of McClendon and uh, Munkun and uh, uh, Del McGee for the Tech job, now kind of focusing on two names. Maybe it's O'Brien and uh you know maybe it's chadwell from coastal carolina on the alabama part of this with o'brien if you believe the rumors in tuscaloosa nick saban might do everything in his power to help bill o'brien get that job because i don't know that bill o'brien's necessarily nick saban's favorite offensive coordinator but nonetheless that's the rumor that's out there we'll make that cruising around the sec courtesy of Royal Caribbean and here on our program shocking breach of protocol doing a Kroger fresh take on a Thursday but it's actually a great time to catch up with Connor Riley about the comings and goings in Athens here this week as Georgia gets ready to take on Missouri on the road on Saturday and Connor you know kind of every version of this game for me has sort of focused in on how easy Georgia is making it look in kind of true road games going back the uh, last couple of years here. They're not just winning games. I believe they've won eight consecutive true road games, but they're also winning games in excess of 20 points with regularity. It's just not that easy, Connor, and yet Georgia is making it look easy. Do you think they make it look easy again on Saturday as well?
3: I do. Uh, I mean, part of this is opponent-driven. I think Missouri may end up being the worst team in the SEC this season, especially if they're not going to have Luther Burden who is questionable for this game. And I think is undoubtedly their best player. Uh, but to the road dominance, they have one road loss since the, since the start of the 2019 season. And I came at Alabama in a COVID year. Yep. So I, I think it, it speaks to the sort of mindset that this team has of, Hey, we like going on the road. we like going into your stadium and just beating the stuffing out of you. That's what happened against South Carolina. I think that's what you saw is, I think that's what you're going to see happen in Missouri on Saturday. And, you know, that mindset, it, it makes the performance against Penn, Kent State this past weekend, I, I guess, all the more perplexing of, you know, the Georgia team seems a little bored playing a noon kickoff against a MAC team when they know, hey, we've got SEC games coming up. We've got big-time rivalry game against Auburn the week after Missouri. So I, I think you're going to see a fully locked-in and engaged Georgia team really just try to take it to Missouri for four quarters.
0: So I told this to Terrence Edwards a moment ago. Here's why I think the game kind of matters to me a little bit in that, It's Game 5, and in two of those games, Georgia's looked like the best team in America. I don't think there was anyone capable of playing better than Georgia played against Oregon and against South Carolina. Sanford and Kent State, less than that, but we would say, oh, that's the circumstances. They kind of speak to why Georgia seemed uninterested. Well, if you get some sort of sort of sleepwalkie type performance on Saturday, Connor, at that point, you've actually got more bad games than good games. And so I think it would be appropriate for the hype to kind of get dialed down on Georgia a little bit. If that were the case, I'm like you. I don't think that's the way this is going to play out. I think this game is going to kind of belong on the same shelf with the South Carolina performance and the Oregon performance. But if for some reason that doesn't happen, then the way I think about Georgia probably would evolve a, a little bit. And I think it probably should as well.
3: Yeah, if, if if they sleepwalk through this Missouri game like they did against Kent State, they're not going to be the number one team in the country in either of the polls. I think Alabama is going to pass them this weekend, provided that they beat Arkansas, which I do still expect to happen. And so I, I think this is a chance to really see, okay, is, as you're getting into the meat of the SEC schedule now, from here until the November 26th game against Georgia Tech, you have, I think, seven straight SEC games. This is the real meat of Georgia's schedule here. And I think this is going to allow them to show what kind of team they are. You know, they played their A game against South Carolina. They played their A game against Oregon. You come out and play three A games in your first five games, all against power five opponents. That's in reality probably who you're going to be as a team because you're just playing more power five opponents on your schedule than a Samford and a Kent State. And so if you go out there and you show that you are, in fact, this juggernaut, this ultra-efficient offense that has only punted one time against power five opponents with Stetson Bennett in the game this year. In reality, that's probably really who you are, and I think we could start to consider those Kent State and Sanford performances as much more outliers than what we have seen so far.
0: Off the top of the show today, I kind of put on my Vince McMahon-style hype man yeah. hat and tried to, like, generate as much possible interest in it as I can in this game on Saturday, kind of going back to last October when uh, Eli Drinkwitz talked a little trash on Twitter Uh, after the Luther Burden commitment to Missouri. Now, the two teams have played since then, uh, but nonetheless, if you want to make this game more interesting – kind of viewing Drinkwitz as a little bit of an enemy here Uh, we have seen Kirby have a little bit of a long memory before I don't think he tried to run the score last year against Missouri but given the chance to tack on the extra points it wouldn't surprise me if he did that on Saturday and at the very least I do think it's nice for Georgia fans to sort of think hey Drinkwitz, who otherwise is kind of a nondescript coach he did once try to spike the football on you after a rare recruiting win so Connor at this point I'll do anything I can to make this game seem more interesting and that's the card that I'm playing right now now
3: yeah I think Drinkwitz is good for this league I it just kind of stinks that he's at the Missouri job because that's a really tough place to win I think if you if you put him in a spot where he has a little bit more access to to talent because he's shown he can be a recruiter I I think he's a good figure to have in the league obviously he did the sort of dorky you know lightsaber uh thing against Florida last year and, and leaning into that a little bit but I think, you know, he's a good guy to have in this league. Unfortunately, I don't know how long he is for this league just because of, you know, sort of what the Missouri job has become is to get your 6, 7, 8 into the SEC now. And the reality is, as, you know, those first two SEC titles back in 13 and 14 are just so long ago now that in reality, Missouri, you know, yeah, they're, they're struggling to get to where, say, Kentucky is. And so long as Kentucky, I think, occupies that spot in this league, especially in this SEC East division, I struggle to see how Missouri is really going to become a factor in playing games against, say, the Georgias. And then ultimately when we get to a new SEC, the Alabamas, Oklahomas, and Texas. Not, not Texas, but Oklahoma, Georgia, Alabamas in the
0: world. So lingering issues for Georgia. you got like A.D. Mitchell at the wide receiver spot. I guess to a certain extent, Arian Smith may come back too. Jalen Carter hasn't played a ton, it doesn't seem. Mikael Williams has played, but maybe there's some – Chatter out there about him. Kenny McIntosh leaves the game on Saturday. I don't mean to throw like a thousand things at you, but but just kind of give me um as clear a th- sort of a snapshot of the injury situation for Saturday as you can.
3: I don't expect Ad Mitchell to make the trip. I think he's going to be back for the Auburn game. If I had to lean away, I would say they maybe do try and travel. Arian Smith. And the thing to keep in mind here. It's due to the SEC roster limits where you're only allowed to bring 70 guys. If you're traveling, odds are you're probably playing. So, you know, I think think Arian has a decent shot to make the trip for the first time all season. Jalen Carter is going to play. It sounds like he is much closer to where he was earlier in the season than what we have seen out of him in the last two games. There's some conflicting reports out there on Kenny McIntosh and his availability for this Saturday. I'm leaning towards him being out there and them having him though I don't think they're going to use him quite as much as they have this point in the season just because they do want to manage his workload. And also I think they're eager to see what uh, Dejon Edwards can give them going forward. Michael Williams is still playing. He he played you know, 15, 20 snaps against, um, against Kent State this past weekend. I expect everything to be good there. And I think that's everybody you asked me about. Is there anyone obvious that I might be forgetting? I mean, I guess we can talk about the star position and yeah. the question of what Georgia's going to do there, I touched about that. Or give me five, which you can read on Dog Nation or see on the video and on our YouTube page. But I, I think you know Javon Bullard should be suspended. You, you can't you can't do what he did. You know, blow .14 and, and drive home and get a DUI like that and, and not face some consequences for it. He, he needs to be suspended. Uh, you know, I, I think two games is probably what he will ultimately end up be getting there cuz so that's I what the
0: policy used to the- be, right? Uh, it's it's, it's yes. am I factually correct on this that it's not currently stated specifically how much time it would be, but in previous days, kind of I guess pre kirby going back to Rick era, this would have been a two game suspension. Am I factually correct on that?
3: Yes, in the Rick era for a first time offense it was 20% of the season which effect- essentially worked out to two games there. So that was what it was. Under the new Kirby guidelines, it's a a little bit more vague. There's a a committee, and then they have a hearing, and it goes ultimately to the athletic director to decide the punishment there. And obviously Georgia keeps this all very under cloak and dagger and lock and key to say we're going to handle it internally to have some leeway there. Without Bullard out there, I I would hope that he doesn't make this trip and doesn't play because I do think it's a very bad look if you don't have him face any sort of real consequences for this. I expect them to put Chris Smith as your starting star and then have Dan Jackson and Malachi Starks as your safeties there. I think they're going to work in Tyke Smith there, but I'm not quite sure they fully trust him yet to play a full game out there at that start position. And he is still making his way back from a knee injury he suffered not even a year ago.
0: I think that's a really interesting evaluation, Connor. I got one more thing I want to ask you about. Let me remind folks before that, though, this is our Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley. We're getting ready for Halloween here coming up at Kroger. So go to kroger.com slash Halloween. You can find out about all the great savings, up to 20% off on the decor and the candy and all the fun stuff that makes Halloween so great. Trust me when I tell you, when you got young kids like me, we've been in Halloween season in our house for weeks. It's not even October yet. We've already been heavy into the Halloween stuff. And as you kind of move into that in your own life with your own kids, your own family there too, the place to get stocked up on everything you need is right there uh, at Kroger. Get all the candy you need, some of that you eat before the big day, some of it you save for the day itself. But either way, Kroger.com slash Halloween for a lot more on that. All right, Connor, let me bring you in as well to kind of close out today on a conversation I was having earlier on the show and it relates to the red zone stuff with Georgia kind of national average in red zone touchdown percentage a year ago kind of outside the top 60 here right now it's an issue that smart has openly said they want to be better at converting those trips inside the 20 into touchdowns I'll also tell you this I'm not quite so sure sometimes how much red zone stats actually mean some of it can feel a little bit random but it is an area in which Georgia can be better and I am pretty confident that I don't think you're going to run your way to success in the red zone. That's something that Kirby talked about here this week. He knows more about the subject than I do, but I don't see teams just kind of pounding it into the goal line inside the 20 because it's easier to defend running plays down there and the opposing defense could uh, have a better idea of what's coming. Georgia's power running numbers probably aren't ever as successful as some people think they might be. To me, it's about how creative can you be with Stetson Bennett, how accurate can his throws be, how much can he do with his own legs, because quarterback runs are far less easy to uh, sometimes predict, and they become more efficient because of that. You're a smart guy. What do you diagnose about what's going on with Georgia in the red zone and how it could get better?
3: Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you hear it all the time, but it's, it's harder to score down there because the field is more condensed and. You know, we'll even look back at Alabama last year. A big reason they lost in the championship game was because of the struggles they had in scoring touchdowns in the red zone. And before I hear you say, uh, and you obviously won't say this, but I'm sure there are some Alabama fanboys in your YouTube message boards chatter. Uh, <laughs> saying, oh, We didn't have Jamison Williams and John Mechie. You know, if you even go back to the SEC championship game, a lot of those touchdowns weren't scored in the red yeah. zone. And they came on big explosive plays. And so I think that's why you hear coaches sometimes especially Kirby Smart, harp on the importance of those because it is just easier sometimes to rip off a 60-yard touchdown as we saw Brock Bowers do this past weekend than it is necessarily to, to pound it in there. I, I, in, I, I think you know, part of the thing that I've at least I've liked what I've seen so far is that when the Georgia gets in a goal-to-go situation, they've been willing to get creative in sort of how they go about scoring, whether it be Seth and Bennett rushing touchdowns, Brock Bowers on an end-around, Lad McConkey has a rushing yeah. touchdown there as well. So I do think that you've seen enough there to where, you know, Todd Monkey can get in his bag of tricks and be creative there. The, the other one thing, and I touched on this also in the Give Me Five story I wrote this morning, you know, Donald Washington does not yet have a red zone touch. And obviously you don't want to feed him necessarily in the red zone. But I think when Georgia absolutely needs a red zone score, like they're going to, I think at some point this year, they do have him. They have a guy like Brock Bowers. I think Kenny McIntosh is a guy that can score and create plays in the red zone. And one thing, you know – I'll be interested to see going forward the uses of Dejon Edwards. he's really impressed me so far this season, and he's just a tough guy to bring down. And while he's not as big as Kendall Milton is, he is Georgia's hardest runner. And I do think that maybe if you put him in some of those goal- to go situations, some of those you know near the end zone situations, maybe you see a little bit more rushing success in terms of converting you know those field goals into touchdowns there. So I do think Georgia still has some, some cards to play there as far as what they have. But i also point out a lot of the, the red zone misses, their games against Kent State and Sanford mm-hmm. where Georgia, I think, is pretty clearly trying to do things and figure things out and say, okay, well, can we get the ball to Marcus Rosemary-Jackson here and can you make a play for us in the end zone? Can we get it to Karris Jackson? Uh, you know, they haven't had A.D. Mitchell in these situations. And and I, uh, so I, I think we'll, go ahead.
0: No, I'm sorry, you finished your point. I didn't mean to cut you off. Finish your point.
3: Yeah, and and so I think when they you know sort of get their full complement of weapons back, which I am expecting for the Auburn game to be the case. Obviously, knock on wood, that nothing bad happens this weekend. Uh, I, I do think that maybe you're going to see these numbers pick up a little bit here.
0: And I would also add to that, you know, going into the season, I said, hey, if Georgia wants to be better offensively, improving in the red zone is the best place for that to happen. As it looks through four games, that's a third of the regular season. There's a chance I might have been wrong about that because, Connor, the fact is Georgia is offensively better right now than it was last year, and that improvement has not yet come in the red zone. The overall numbers through four games similar to what it was for a 15-game season last year. So I guess the you know, the the addendum to all this is that it is possible to be a great offense without being great in the red zone, and maybe Georgia's just going to be one of those examples here this year if this same trajectory continues for the next 11 games.
3: Right. And, and the example I want to use there is that 2019 LSU team because, you know, as great as that offense was, what Joe Burrow did best were those 15 to 25 yard throws, you know, it, by definition, a chunk play, but obviously not the explosive, super long touchdowns. And they just ate you up picking up, you know, 16, 21, 16 yard plays uh, pretty consistent with the, consistently with their passing offense. I think Georgia's shown the ability to do that right now. And obviously, I'm not comparing Stetson Bennett to Joe Burrow, but I think offensively with the skill talent that Georgia has, they have guys that can consistently win in those intermediate quote-unquote routes, and that's why you've seen a lot of success on this offensive side of the ball this year and why I think you're going to continue to see it this Saturday against Missouri.
0: Connor, great stuff. Thanks for being here for this Kroger Fresh Take. Looking forward to traveling with you to Columbia, Missouri, there this weekend, and we are going to have a good time there in the Show Me State and I will talk to you then.
3: Yep, as always, it was a pleasure.
0: All right, good stuff there from Connor Riley. Let me give you a note here. Speaking of travel to Missouri, longest regular season road trip for the dogs here this year that presents some logistical challenges. And for me, one of those is needing to fly tomorrow morning against what would normally be the backdrop of our show. So here is how we're clearing that up for tomorrow. This afternoon, as I speak to you on a Thursday, we're going to record the show to air tomorrow. It's not a best case scenario, but it's also not like we're recording it 18 days in advance. It's essentially the same stuff we would talk about live on Friday morning. We're just going to simply talk about here on a Thursday afternoon. It's still Jeff Intel. It's still all the things that you've kind of come to expect, uh, but it's going to be pre-recorded today to air tomorrow. That means no first and 15 tomorrow and no typical live cool down when it's when it's all said and done, uh, when the show is completed. But we will look forward to having the show tomorrow, just not live, pre-recorded. as I will be in the air on my way to Columbia, Missouri, and then joining you live on game day, both before and after the game, providing coverage of another, we think, big win for the Dogs on the road as they go for two in 22, making a push towards a national championship. Looking forward to seeing two fingers in the air, by the way, in Columbia on Saturday, and lots of hashtag go for two in 22 all over social media there, too. We'll see you then. And as we wrap up here today, uh, Golden Shoe Time. I saw where Cordella Patterson, Atlanta uh, Falcons do everything offensive star, former Tennessee Vol. I guess he wins a bet here against the former Gator, Kyle Pitts. Now, I don't know how I feel about this from a number of fronts. Like, I don't know that like football players should be doing like the friendly bet where you have to wear the other team's garb and gear. I don't know. That just seems unbecoming here a bit plus for the falcons it's like this past sunday for the first time all year they found out a way to use kyle pitts i sort of want them to stay focused on that you can keep showing that um i, I want to see them sort of stay focused on that more so than playing these fun games but cordella Prater, cordero patterson showing off kyle pitts wearing the checkerboard orange and white uh overalls here after the tennessee win uh, so, pretty funny stuff. I guess Kyle Pitts got a good sense of humor about all of that. And more spoils coming to Tennessee after their big win. We'll give out golden shoes on that front. Remind you, speaking of Kyle Pitts' alma mater, those lousy, stinging Gators, 5,012 days. That's how long they've been uh, kind of living in the drought of a national championship. Long time for them. And 31 days from right now, that may be 30 days from right now, but uh, 31 days from right now dogs back in jacksonville looking to beat up on florida again that is our gator hater countdown hashtag go for two and 22 dogs got big goal big mission we'll talk to you about it again tomorrow right here on dog nation daily presented by merriweather and Tharp. and on the podcast time now for the rs andrews podcast cool down we'll take your comments here online at dognation.com or you can tweet it to me as well at dog nation daily a uh, good old dog writes in and he actually was i'm gonna read this so he wanted to write this as a comment with a different story but he wrote it here on my podcast instead but i'm going to read it nonetheless i think it's good he says it's so interesting to hear personal stories of the players we watch each week there was a story about mj sherman on the site here this week he says i remember following the recruitment process and the eventual sh- signing of sherman just like so many other uga players we get glimpses of them on the sideline during the freshman year then we start seeing more of them gradually on special teams than playing on defense in different schemes late in the uh, games he says it wouldn't surprise me at all if he emerges as a force to be reckoned with as a starter for his senior season he's in uh, system for a couple of years and obviously will talking about the growth that Sherman shows as a player and I do think that's one of the things that Dog Nation does really well is give you a chance to kind of see who these players are as people and it's important to keep that in mind you know we talk about stats you know how you move the chess pieces around the board here for a little bit but behind all of that these are living breathing human beings no matter how dominant they are as football players and good old dog does a good job of remembering that Cody Ladue is an Alabama fan who tweets at us and comments on our shows and things like that from time to time and he's been on Twitter. Kind of stirring it up with some Georgia fans in the last couple of days as it relates to the Alabama defense and his belief that the Alabama defense right now might be better than Georgia's. And I do think this weekend is kind of interesting on that. We're going to talk more about this on Friday show. But for Alabama on the road at Arkansas on Saturday, their big favorite, this is typically the kind of spot where Alabama has been dominant in the past. Calendar turns to October you almost always get seven or eight really strong performances from Alabama in each of those weeks. Uh, that's just kind of what Bama does, especially middle part of the season. They just really typically get humming pretty good on that. Uh, Arkansas is a little bit of a step-up in weight class from what Bama has been playing, certainly in comparison to Vanderbilt the previous week. It's on the road, a place where the Crimson Tide has actually had more struggles lately than you might remember. I think in terms of how Alabama compares to the team that it's chasing, Georgia – what happens on Saturday against Arkansas, I do think, is is pretty interesting there, and it's a narrative evolution from where, in previous seasons, hey, maybe Georgia had the responsibility of showing it was just as good as Alabama. I think now, I think it's Alabama that has the responsibility of showing that it's just as good as the team that's ranked ahead of it. And you get into the, like, the rat poison thing and the fact that certain people don't want to be ranked number one and how all that attention on you but sometimes the, the lack of attention is for a good reason. Sometimes the criticism is for a good reason, and Bama's kind of faced some of that here as of late. Now, I do think they will probably respond to their critics on Saturday, but if they don't, if they don't give you the big defensive performance against K.J. Jefferson, if Arkansas looks good at home, if they have a chance to win this game late, that would be worth considering in terms of how we evaluate an Alabama team that we all assume is just George's Toughest competition in the SEC, and maybe one of the bigger national threats out there to Georgia, too. We may learn a lot about that Crimson Tide team at Arkansas on Saturday. That is our RS Andrews podcast. Cool down. RS Andrews, you can find them online uh, at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. Coming up on that cold weather time of year, it means a great time to get that uh, heat uh, working that, that furnace unit for you. You want to get it, uh, tuned back up to factory fresh specs. RS Andrews can do that for you. You can find them online at rsanders.com for a lot more on that. We will see you tomorrow. Uh, dog nation daily presented by Weather and Tharp. we'll look forward to talking to you then.